afternoon looking at verses 20 through 22, though concentrating on verse 22. So listen to the word of God. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Amen. Let's uh, descend there and you may be seated. Over and over and over again in this letter, we saw that Jude battled false teaching, uh, uh, teaching that exalted self. Now, the exaltation of self shows itself oftentimes either in legalism or in antinomianism. Uh, on one hand, the antinomian uh, turns the grace of God into a meaningless license, thinking that because he's under grace, he can do whatever he wants. On the other hand, the legalist deceives himself into thinking that he's secure by keeping God's law, and he measures spirituality and maturity by well he performs. These two errors seem opposite to one another, but in fact, they promote very selfish ways of living. And uh, they tend to, uh, both, both views, because it's an exaltation of self, they, uh, the people who fall into these errors tend to look down on others. And they never seek to help others, always to condemn. And, but... Uh, Jude turns us away from those kinds of uh, things and calls us to rest completely and wholly in the rest and the, gra or the grace and the love of God. And it's a very comforting thing, I believe, that our relationship to God is already settled in Christ Jesus. You can't add any more to this relationship. His perfect holiness, his righteousness is imputed to us and because of that fact, we will always have a good relationship to the Father now, a saving relationship. But nevertheless, all those who embrace the gospel of Christ still struggle with the flesh, don't we? We all struggle with sin, and we will until the day that we die. And if we look at ourselves and how well we do, how well we perform, we will doubt our salvation. Sometimes we might pat ourselves on the back, but most of the time we say, oh, how far I have fallen. Those who live by grace alone are always keenly aware of, of how much they didn't do. They're aware, they're aware of how easy it is also to fall into sin. And those who are saved by grace and who are justified by faith uh, they, when they look at others who, who stumble in sin, they don't seek to condemn. They remind themselves that if it was not for God's grace, there I would go also. Justified, forgiven sinners bear with one another. They, they help the struggling and the weak. And they're patient with those who are in different places in their sanctification. But again, because of 
indwelling sin in us. And because of the constant struggle against self-righteousness, being merciful with others is not easy. It needs to be encouraged. It needs to be flamed up. And so here again, Jude is exhorting us. Now he's told us to pray in the Spirit. He's told us to keep ourselves in the love of God. He reminds us that uh, we are looking for the return of Jesus Christ. But as we are marching in on this journey, Jude now reminds us that we're not alone. Again, in verses 22 and 23, he describes two different kinds of people that we may need to deal with from time to time. One kind, again, struggles with doubt. The other is already caught up into sin. But here Jude again is telling us that we don't leave them behind. We help them. This is, this is a particularly uh, important verse for ministers and elders. But all of us, in general, need to hear this. Because, again, in dealing with various people, uh, we need wisdom. We need wisdom on how to apply the truth to each person in their situation. Again, some need a strong rebuke, or perhaps even more than a strong rebuke. Some others need only a nudge. But in all cases, Jude here says that we're to do it with mercy. We're to do it with compassion. We're to do it as a way of correcting and leading back, never as pure punishment. So Jude says again, have mercy on some who are doubting. Now that Greek word that's translated as doubting carries the idea that someone is, is in the process of weighing two different concepts, two different ideas out and is not quite sure which way to go. In other words, they've been affected by, by wrong teaching. They've been affected by wrong behavior. And they're at odds with themselves. They're trying to evaluate the issues of a dispute, as it were. And because their understanding is somewhat cloudy, they are hesitant, and they battle within themselves. And, and they're led into doubt and confusion. Now, of course, those who are struggling with doubts can still be contentious. <laughs> they can still be hardened. And, and so it's, it's, it is quite easy to lose patience with them. Um, they may not always necessarily follow through with instructions. They may continue down a path that is dangerous, and they've been counseled against it, but nevertheless, they failed to listen well. They failed to heed, and, and, and it's tempting to say, well, there you go. Let's just move on. You know, people are pretty messy, aren't they? Um, when my kids were little, I had to change their diapers, and I thought that was messy, <laughs> and it is. But people, even as they grow up, are still messy, not necessarily filling diapers, but, but, but kind of. <laughs> they're, they're foolish. And it's not hard to get frustrated with other people's actions, is it? It's easy even to become disgusted with stubbornness and with an apparent unwillingness to turn away from unsound doctrine or ungodly practices. I think every parent here has recognized that to some degree and another. But again, Jude encourages those who are strong in faith 
to show mercy and kindness to those who are weak. Those who are convinced in faith need to minister to those who are wavering with doubts, to those who are struggling with sin and error. Again, when, when you look at someone who's in serious need, Jude is saying, don't turn your back on them. Don't look down upon them as we tend to want to do. Don't give them the cold shoulder, but rather show kindness, show concern for them. When, when someone doubts, when someone goes astray and is caught in foolishness, rather than snort in disgust and anger towards them, be gentle and compassionate and patient with them. We should be like Jesus in this regard. When, when, when people are caught between two worlds and they're doubting and their life is being shaken. In Mark, in Mark chapter 10, we're told of how this particular rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. I've done all the commandments. And then Jesus said one more thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And, and the scripture says that when Jesus said that, he walked away sad because he was very wealthy. But it's interesting that in Mark chapter 10, verse 24, it says there that when Jesus looked at this man, Jesus felt the love for him. Here was a man who was doubting. Here was a man who was struggling. He wanted eternal life. He came to Jesus seeking that, but he was torn because his love for stuff was pretty strong too. Now, that man walked away sad. I still have hope that we will see him in heaven because Jesus loved him. Anyway, Jude says, have mercy on some who are doubting. That exhortation takes me back to Matthew chapter 18. Where in that chapter, verses 12 and 13, Jesus uh, says this. He says, what do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go search for the one that is straying? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the, over the 99 which he has that has not gone astray. Now Jesus started out that teaching by asking, what do you think? And he does that in order to catch our attention. For us to really consider the weight of this teaching of seeking and saving the lost. It's easy to talk about. But doing it. Now, of course, it doesn't take a whole lot to understand what Jesus was getting at there, right? The 99 are the faithful disciples, those who have not wavered, those who have not doubted. They remain close to the Lord. They're obeying the gospel. They're, they're walking rightly and in faith. But that one sheep, he walks away, he strays, he's fallen into doubt. And he needs to be sought after. Now the good shepherd will, will never say, well, yeah, well, that's too bad. I, I, I lost one, 
but you know what? I have 99 others. You know, and, and those 99 are, you know, kind of messy too, because sheep are. I'm busy with them, so, well, better luck next time. <laughs> no, he doesn't do that. What does he do? Jesus says he leaves the 99 and he goes searching for that one. He inquires after it. He, he goes up the mountains, down the valleys, over the highways and byways. He goes on and on until hopefully he finds it. You see, there is a, a loving, dogged, persistent in the good shepherd. The one who seeks to find that one sheep who has foolishly wandered off into danger. That's the work of a good shepherd. He is a, a searcher for the lost. By the way, that word search for is the same word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's the same word, seek first, search for. I think an application of seeking first for God's kingdom and his righteousness is found in the search for the doubting. Jesus said, in fact, that his whole mission was to do what? to seek and to save the lost. And it's the mission of his kingdom to seek and save. And so, beloved, we are most like Christ when we receive with open arms those who humbly seek forgiveness, recognizing their weakness and their inability and doubt. What difference does it make what their sin is? Whatever they've done, if they seek for mercy, should we not hold it out to them? Richard Sibbs, one of my favorite old-time Puritan pastors, the, the heavenly Dr. Sibbs, said, there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in us. There is more grace in Christ then there is sin in us. And you know your own heart. You know what kind of sin is there. Maybe no one else does, but you know. And maybe you don't even know the full depths of your sin. But there's more grace in Christ and there's sin in you. Do you believe that? Do you believe? I believe that. I believe it because I've experienced his grace. Even if a sheep was to commit one of the, the most foulest sins of immorality, isn't Jesus' grace greater than their sin. Now, sometimes we might ourselves doubt their sorrow for sin or their repentance. But here's the thing. Even if their turning is ever so slight, why would we put a roadblock before them? Have mercy on some who are doubting. Why would we ever try to make it harder for someone to find their way back to Christ? When Jesus said, all who come to me, I will not cast out. Yeah, we need to reprove errant saints. We need to rebuke them when they fall. We need to correct them. But our words are to be seasoned with mercy. Listen to these words of God in Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, remember now, uh, in Lament uh, Jeremiah the prophet is lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem. 
So Jerusalem is, is being destroyed. Its people are being carried away into captivity. But listen to what God says. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the land. Above all things, God deals with sinners with compassion. And he says this even in the midst of of, of punishing Israel, as it were, of rebuking Israel because of its gross immorality and idolatry and breaking God's commandments. No, God is quick to cause grief, or God is not quick to to cause grief. He's not desirous to afflict the suffering. Yes, he disciplines. Hebrews tells us that that God disciplines because he's a faithful father, father. Yes, he will cause grief because he's holy. But once the desired effect is produced, even if it's imperfect and shaky and faulty, the Father gathers them in love and he shows them the tender, abundant forgiveness of a father. My friends, aren't you glad for that? Have you not experienced it yourself? Does not his love and mercy stir up your own heart in compassion for others who perhaps are also caught in sin and doubt? Again, if you want to imitate Christ, if you want to imitate the Father, if you want to be like God, this is surely the best way. Show mercy to some who are doubting. Perhaps you might remember uh, the play of uh, Shakespeare's play, uh, the, the Merchant of Venice. In that, in that play, it tells the story of a man, Antonio, who wants to help out his friend Bassanio. And so he secures a large loan from a Jewish merchant named Shylock. Now, the deal was that if Antonio didn't repay the loan in three months' time, Shylock would collect a pound of Antonio's flesh. And, of course, you know the story. Antonio's ships are lost, and Shylock sues for his pound of flesh. They stand before the duke. Then a young doctor of law, Portia, she exhorts Shylock with these words, and this is the important thing. The quality of mercy is not strained It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him who gives and him who takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throne of monarch better than his crown. Oh, his scepter shows the force of temporal power. The attribute to awe and majesty wherein doth sit the dread of and fear of kings. But mercy is above that throned sway, or that sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute of God himself. And earthly power doth then show like as gods, 
when mercy seasons justice. Now, Shakespeare understood what so many Christians unfortunately don't. If you want to imitate God and you want to deal with sinners as he does, then Paul, Jude says, show mercy. Mercy is surely God's attribute as he seeks us out and as he saves us from our wretchedness. In fact, while dealing with sinners, struggling with sin and doubt, dealing with those who waver in their faith, should we not be like the prodigal's father? Who, seeing his son from afar off, ran quickly to his lost son and embraced him. He didn't wait for the lost to come to him. He ran out to that poor sinner. Now, my friends, listen. Looking at sinners and church discipline, church discipline is an important thing. There is no question about that. We must understand, though, what is the purpose of discipline? First off, we know it's for the honor of Christ's name. We know it's for the purity of the church. And we also know that it's for the reclamation of the offender. But do we think that the first and most important thing of discipline is that Christ's honor is to be maintained? Or do we think that it's most important to punish sin so that the leaven of sin doesn't corrupt the whole church? I mean, God is holy. And the church is to be holy. So is that foremost? But what if God's honor and the purity of the church is tied up with Christ's mission, which is to seek and save the lost, not to condemn? We all know John 3.16. Have you ever memorized John 3.17? God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We're so busy wanting to judge and condemn sometimes that we forget that the mission of the church is to save. And what Jude here is reminding of us is that Christ's honor and the purity of the church is best magnified by that sinner being reclaimed. To reclaim that sinner, Paul happily asks this. He says, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. It's not the law that leads to repentance. It's not laws and regulations and rules that leads to repentance. No, no, it's God's kindness. It's his mercy that leads us to repentance. And so in dealing with sinners, we ought to show forth more mercy than anything else. How kind are you in dealing with sinners? Going back to Jesus' parable. The shepherd rejoices over that one lost uh, sheep, over all the 99. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus announced, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If the leaven of sin can affect the whole church in impurity, wouldn't the leaven of mercy permeate the whole church also? So that joy will abound when sinners are washed clean and restored, and shouldn't that be what we're looking to do? That's, that's what Jude is here after. And by the way, he, he only exhorts us to show mercy after he says, keep yourself in love of God. You see how they're related. Now, listen, we're going to have to quickly move on on something here, but 
we all have problems and doubts, and we all have issues that perhaps can't even be shared with other people. Some may come and, and offer a sympathizing shoulder. They may sit in silence with you. But they will leave, and you carry that burden alone. And so, here again, Jude is telling each and every one of us that we have a responsibility ourselves to pray in the Spirit, to keep ourselves in love of God, and to anxiously wait for the Christ. But the good news is this, that the Savior invites us even now to come to him and recline on his breast. No one can fully bear your burden for you and with you, but he alone. However heavy your doubts, however back-breaking and crushing its pressures, Golgotha bears witness that Jesus took the cup of bitterness and he drank it to its dregs. He carried the full weight of our sorrows in his cross. And it's true that sometimes you will have to bear the temporal consequences of your transgressions, but you're never alone, for he bears up. He bears you up. And he has removed the sting of death. And so you, with your sad hearts and your lonely lives, you can cast your burdens and your heavy cares upon this one who cares so much for you, who has shown mercy to you. But here's the other part of that news. Christ bears our burdens on his shoulders, but he puts his yoke and his burden on us. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Why? Because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. What is his burden? What is Jesus' yoke? Well, we don't have to go too far in the scriptures. It's there. 1 John 4, 11 tells us what his burden is. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love the one another. You want another verse? Galatians 2, verse 6. Or uh, 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Love one another. Those verses are really the essence of Jude's admonition here. Have mercy on some who are down. Because Christ bore your burden to the cross, you are now free to come alongside and bear the burdens of others. Jesus promised, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. That's why Paul wrote to the Galatians, you were called to freedom. Only do not turn your freedom to an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. That's what Jude here is getting at. Show mercy. In our sin, we were self-absorbed. We were in the pit. How could we ever help anyone who was in the pit with us? All we could do is put them under our feet as we scramble up for deliverance. <laughs> but then Christ dethrones self. Christ becomes the satisfaction of our hearts. He gives us his righteousness. He takes us out of the pit. And in that we are enabled to bear the burdens of others and share the good things of Christ, building them up in grace. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Now we need to be convinced 
of that. Now, who hasn't fallen into doubt at one time or another? We all have, haven't we? In fact, do you remember? <laughs> One of the most amazing verses to me in Matthew's gospel is, is found actually just after Jesus' resurrection. And he calls the disciples to come uh, to him uh, while he's on this mountain. And it says that, that Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, that they came to meet the resurrected Lord. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. <laughs> there they were, doubting. They saw the resurrected Lord with their own eyes, and they still doubted. But did Jesus cast out those doubters? No. He restores them, and he sends them out to be his witnesses. If those who saw the resurrected Lord with their own eyes still doubted, how much more will we who don't see him with our eyes be tempted to doubt? Do you want to be cast away? Do you want to be left in your doubt? If you fall into sin, do you want to be left wondering if God could or would ever forgive you? Wouldn't you want someone to help you in your need and in your weakness and in your doubt? See, Jude applies the second great commandment to us. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have mercy on some who are doubting. One of the, I'll end with this, I promise you. Most, one of the most comforting verses, I think, in the Bible is found in Isaiah 42, verse 3. A, a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, cites that very verse and says that it was applied to Jesus as he fulfilled it. Now, here's the thing. Reeds are easily bruised and broken. They're, and they're cheap. Wicks are cheap. If a, ru a reed bruises or breaks, or if a wick smolders, the thing is, throw it away. Why try to fix it? It's, it's easier just to throw it away and get something new. But did you hear what happens? Jesus will take the time to heal that bruised reed. He will fan to flame the smoldering wick. He will take something broken and useless and make something useful out of it. What a contrast that is to the self-righteous who say with callous disinterest, Oh, look at that sinner. How they have fallen. Huh. They are broken. They're useless. In fact, they're a nuisance. It's awkward to see them. Cast them away. Do away with them. They only see how God's law was broken. They can't see how a life, a heart was broken. We want to react with justice and with censures, and sometimes that's necessary. They ever question whether or not they're kind to that sinner. Jesus, we're being told is kind. 
And we're all here recipients of his kindness. Every single one of us. Jesus has shown tremendous kindness and patience and mercy to you who have doubted. He's healed you and he's brought you back to life. And now that you are filled with his grace and mercy, Jude here says, now go thou and do likewise. Show mercy to some who are doubting. Let's pray. Lord, we come with all this.